Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about foreign policy and world affairs. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. And in this show, we discuss topical global issues, have conversations with foreign affairs thought leaders and newsmakers, and give you the context you need to understand the world today. Go to globaldispatchespodcast.com to learn more. And now on with the show. There is an escalating humanitarian crisis in Cameroon. More than half a million people have been displaced in a conflict that is growing worse and worse. This conflict erupted in earnest in late 2017 and early 2018 in a series of attacks and reprisals between Anglophone separatists and the French-dominated government. In international affairs circles, this is known as the Anglophone crisis in Cameroon. Now, as my guest today, Jan Eaglin, says, when hundreds of thousands of civilians are displaced, it usually sets off international alarm bells. But this is not the case with Cameroon. There's virtually no international mediation, very little media attention, and the humanitarian response has been woefully inadequate. Jan Egeland is the Secretary General of the Norwegian Refugee Council, a large humanitarian relief organization. He has spent decades in humanitarian affairs, including serving as an Undersecretary General at the United Nations and as a humanitarian relief advisor to the UN in Syria. He is one of the world's most high-profile humanitarian relief experts, and he is sounding the alarm on this crisis. Jan Eagleland recently returned from a fact-finding trip to crisis-affected parts of Cameroon, and a few days after we recorded this conversation, he will be briefing the UN Security Council on his findings. In our conversation, Jan Eagleland does a good job of explaining what is driving this crisis. However, if you want a deeper explanation of the origins of the Anglophone crisis, I will point you to a podcast episode I did in January 2018, recorded just as this crisis was erupting, and that conversation goes more in-depth into the historical roots of the Anglophone crisis. Also, if you want to learn more about Jan Eagland himself, I'll point you to episode number 52 of the Global Dispatches podcast from back in 2015, in which Jan Eagland discusses his own life and career in detail. I must say, this episode fulfills a key mission of the podcast, which is to provide in-depth discussion and analysis of key issues in global affairs that are not getting the attention they deserve. I'm able to do this in large part thanks to listener support. If you are listening to this contemporaneously, for example, you'll note that I don't have an advertiser for this episode. This is where those of you who support the show by becoming a premium subscriber have stepped in. So thank you. Thank you very much for that. And I would encourage more of you to become premium subscribers. And when you do, you will unlock rewards like access to my daily global news clip service called Don's Digest. Now, if you're not able to support the show through a recurring monthly contribution, I would still love your support. Please share the show with friends and colleagues and leave a review on iTunes. Also, this is a little more specific, if you have either digital marketing skills or grant writing skills and want to help the show, I would love to hear from you. Please use the contact button on globaldispatchespodcast.com to get in touch. Thank you all. And now here is my conversation with Jan Egeland, Secretary General of the Norwegian Refugee Council. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? 
tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. I came to Cameroon for the first time last month, really. Uh, I was not aware until earlier this year how deep the crisis now is, in particular in the Anglophone southern and western parts of Cameroon. Uh, Cameroon is one of the largest economies of Africa. It has uh, a, it has itself hosted refugees from the Central African Republic, uh, from um, the Boko Haram violence in Nigeria. But it has now, uh, in addition to those two humanitarian crises, the, the one caused by Boko Haram uh, in the north, also within Cameroon, and uh, the hosting of all of the refugees for the Central African Republic, it has now this tremendous crisis caused by conflict between people within the English-speaking parts of Cameroon and the in the west, south and west of the country, and the the the, the central government. Uh, this is, of course, a remnant of of the colonial times, and it is mind-boggling how now hundreds of thousands of people have been displaced and been the victims of this conflict. Yeah, I, I saw the latest data before speaking to you. It seems that well over half a million people have been displaced over the last, say, 20 months of this conflict as it's escalating. And as you said, that's kind of like a, a mind-boggling number, particularly in the context of Cameroon, which, as you said, was a, a fairly stable and robust uh, economy until just you know a year and a half ago. Yes, indeed. And, and what's in particular mind-boggling is that there is no international relief program of, of uh, that is commensurate to the scale of the suffering there. There is no international mediation. Uh, there will be a rare opportunity to speak on this in the Security Council on Monday, uh, which I will be allowed to uh, because uh, s since I was just uh, there in a, in a special sort of area formula, not mm -hmm. not in a, in a formal session. Uh, there is hardly any uh, independent media uh, coverage of this. Uh, the, there is no program to really push the parties to stop with their atrocities. Uh, there is a million nearly children out of school uh, because part of the conflict has been uh, you know grievances around education and educational systems and so on so it's ended up with a horrific conflict with hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people displaced and suffering and nobody seems to care internationally i i, I find that uh, hard to 
understand. So I want to have you describe what you saw during your visit there. And I assume you went as part of your role as the head of the Norwegian Refugee Council, which is you know one of the world's largest you know uh, humanitarian organizations. Uh, yes. What did you see? Can you share some stories from from that trip? Who did you meet? Yeah, I, I flew to uh, uh, Douala, which is a large, uh, the large commercial city in the south of Cameroon. You can fly that straight from uh, from Brussels. Uh, <clears throat> the next day, I drove with my colleagues of uh, NRC uh, to uh, Buea, who, which is the uh, capital of uh, the southwestern province of uh, Cameroon. It's a few hours uh, drive, uh, lots of checkpoints, and you see how militarized this southwestern part has become. Uh, This was an area like the rest of Cameroon that was a um, German colony until Germany lost the First World War. And then uh, Cameroon was divided between a French-administered uh, uh, Cameroon and an English-administered Cameroon along the border to Nigeria. So in 1961, the, well, part of this English-speaking part went to Nigeria, and the other part uh, uh, went southwest, northwest, to the French speaking uh, Cameroon. And since then, there has been tensions, but the conflict became a full-scale emergency with violence after peaceful demonstrations were met a few years back with with, uh, repression. And now there is gruesome violence on both sides. There are armed rebels and there is, is, is government forces fighting them in the midst of the civilian population. So what I saw was the, you know, the the, the consequences of that. Uh, Displaced women, children, people who have fled from the torched villages, people who told me stories of of seeing people murdered in the middle of the night as their villages were attacked. Uh, School children that haven't been to school for years because all schools have uh, are closed because the the opposition armed opposition forces say we we do not um, accept the curriculum and the school system and the teachers that the government is putting in but basically a, a, the pa- a pal- uh, paralysis of, uh, of 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 society and reports of, of tremendous violence uh, that is done by both sides. So it, where are people fleeing to? Um, it seems that this violence is, is extremely widespread. It is widespread, and people are fleeing uh, from hundreds of torched villages to uh, towns and cities like Buea, the provincial capital of Southwest, where I was, or um, they flee out in the bush, where they remain uh, displaced at the moment, terrorized, afraid, living from the the land and from the uh, whatever they can find and, and, and from the bush, 
uh, and and these people are a, a great concern because we cannot really reach them at the moment uh, as humanitarian groups. Uh, it's very hard to get access. Security is a tremendous, and we do not have funding. So it was one of my messages to the <clears throat> governor there. Let us help the people in bushes allow access there. And we're doing the same messages to the uh, the rebels uh, allow us to get to these people so that they can get assistance and that and and and, and so that we can either help them into the towns or help them back to villages if these are safe and if they can be rebuilt is the government of cameroon um putting up any roadblocks or obstacles uh, preventing the provision of humanitarian assistance. You know, in, in, in some cases, you know, not, uh, I don't know what the situation in Cameroon is, but in some cases you have these conflicts and um, the government seeks to obstruct the delivery of humanitarian aid. Are you seeing anything like that happening in Cameroon? Well, there has been uh, access uh, problems caused by both sides, both government and rebels. Um, we now have... Um, direct links, uh, lines of communications to both sides, and we do not experience uh, access blockages um, at the moment. It, it's getting better. We are now scaling up our presence. Uh, we're going to more and more areas. Uh, I, I would say now, paradoxically, our, our number one access issue is um, is funding. Uh, in part because the donor countries believe it's so hard to do work there and that it's too, too we're blocked or, or it's too unsafe for us to work. So we don't get funding. So it's, it's, it, that was one of my messages to donors that I met in Yaounde, the capital. You got to, you, 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 you got to help us uh, with real funding so we can ramp up presence and we can get um, a much bigger program to all of the people in need. That could also lead hopefully to more protection because there would be protection by presence. We would be more eyes and ears that would see what happens on the ground. So presumably also one obstacle to funding, fully funding the humanitarian response to this emergency is the fact that you know, it is so off the radar. It is not something that journalists are talking about. It's not much in the media and it's not much of a priority, um, you know, or, around uh, world capitals or, or around the UN. Um, you have you've been a humanitarian for your entire life. What do you think explains the fact that this crisis in particular is so off the radar? Well, it's, uh, it's all of the above uh, that you mentioned, but, um, but, but indeed, I think it's also perhaps that a number of the European powers, perhaps the French, Great Britain, who, who divided the place and caused these uh, cultural and political and system divisions or the Germans that colonized it in the first place, they don't really want to interfere that much in this system. And they, they, they so in a way, by 
holding back, they don't bring fuel to the fire. Uh, uh, the, idea, the idea is they don't want to be accused of like neocolonialism uh, no. by, by sort of trying oh, to impose a solution on the yeah, government of Cameroon. Yeah, taking okay. the sides of one or the other to this uh, conflict. Hmm. Um, it's it's uh, Cameroon is also a country that has been seen as very stable, so people have hard time understanding that it has its deep crisis. It was a host to refugees. It wasn't one producing displaced people. Um, And and then um, journalists haven't gone there, have not, uh, haven't gotten, they, I think, have also had access issues getting there. So, so, uh, and and then, uh, yes, I would blame myself and ourselves as humanitarians too. Why haven't we been able to, to sound the alarm more, more, more solidly. When I was there, I was interviewed by all of the major wire services, and that did bring some, uh, some attention. We will certainly continue to do that. Um, what are elements of a political solution to this crisis? Um, what role, say, does does Paul Bia play or others? Paul Bia is is the president, I should say, who's been the president of um, you know, of, of Cameroon for like nearly as long as I've been alive. Um, yeah. What um, what what are the avenues? What are mechanisms for a political solution to this crisis? How could that happen? Well, it could happen by by grown men sitting down discussing uh, and talking uh, to end grievances and find compromises uh, instead of, of of trying to kill each other and 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 yeah. end up killing women and children instead uh, that, I feel like you've probably given that answer before in different contexts <laughs> yes it's not the the first time I mean it it, it, it for, of course for those there it seems to be very complicated. It's a lot of a uh, lot of political, cultural uh, baggage here. Uh, the two languages, uh, the two systems, the francophone, the anglophone, also educational system, judicial systems uh, that that come in uh, center periphery. The central power being too much wanting to to control and uh, not delegate the the uh, the regions wanting to have much more um, self-rule and now uh, which again results the conflict into uh, rebels wanting independence um, the what we need would be uh, you know sound third party mediation efforts that could be um, African uh, UN churches whatever we need mediators there we we need uh, to, in my view, to try to start with the educational system. It is insane that uh, grown men's uh, conflict result in a generation of children being lost to illiteracy. It's it's uh, in a way we have to call a spade a spade. Say you're crazy to not sit down, and that's both the government and the rebel side. Uh, there are real issues regarding curriculum and teachers and uh, systems and and whatnot. All of that can be solved. There are many places on earth where there are minorities who who have felt discriminated with education and where good solutions have been found.
So on Monday, we're, we're speaking on Wednesday. On Monday, you will be briefing the Security Council in what's known as an ARIA-style formula meeting. This is a, sort of the term of art used around the UN to describe Security Council meetings in which members of civil society like yourself are uh, are, are engaging the Security Council in, in a meeting. It's not like a formal Security Council meeting, but it's your opportunity to tell diplomats of the Security Council uh, your views, your thoughts on on the issues. What are you going to be telling the Security Council on Monday? What what message, what's your, your you know, first, second, and third um, points that you want to make? Well, I will um, bluntly uh, say what I saw and what I learned, including in the, in the far north where the Boko Haram violence still displaces people and where they cannot return back home. Still, many were displaced in 2014, and uh, the, 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 the dwindling funding and interest also there is a major problem. I will, uh, I will tell the Security Council what the mothers and the children told me of their, uh, the, the horror stories they told me, and then I will suggest mediation, conflict resolution, preventive action, early intervention in terms of humanitarian human rights and peacemaking efforts. Um, as, uh, as I will say that the atrocities uh, has to stop, there needs to be ceasefire, there needs to be um, a, a ramping up of the humanitarian presence much more funding. We need to be more organizations there. And those of us who, who are there need to have a, a much stronger program and much better funding. Uh, do you think that the Secretary General should appoint some sort of mediator to this conflict, to this issue? Well, it could be the UN. It could be some African uh, institution could also be a national uh, mediator for that uh, matter. I think the UN has to facilitate uh, conflict resolution efforts because um, because 500,000 people uh, f who have fled do not uh, lie. I mean, there is a an enormous problem and as bad as this is now, it can get much worse. Uh, so these are this conflict in still are in early days. It 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 has to end uh, now. Uh, and and indeed the UN has vowed, including the Secretary General, to be much stronger in conflict prevention and conflict resolution. Uh, well, so let uh, Cameroon be an example of that. So finally, in the coming days and weeks and months, what um, will you be looking towards either on the ground or in broader diplomatic circles that will suggest to you the trajectory of this crisis? Um, are there any certain inflection points coming up that might inform um, how this crisis will unfold in the coming uh, days, weeks, and months? Well, I think, I mean, the jury's really out on whether we... We wake up to the amount of and the scale of this crisis and start to do um, peace work, human rights works and humanitarian efforts that are, are commensurate to the crisis. 
It is a good thing that the U.S. with the German and the Dominican Republic, I believe, have organized this first ARIA-style meeting of the Security Council. Um, I, I hope we can get more um, international attention to the situation. I hope we will have also a much larger humanitarian program there, which would lead to more international presence, which again can be civilizing, I hope, to the conflict. <laughs> I also hope that the diaspora from this these areas would not want to scale up uh, the conflict, not want to fuel this fire, but rather be interested in uh, conflict resolution, in dialogue, and and my invitation has been in in my communication let's start with education thousands of schools have been uh, closed they need to open let's sit down and agree on a way to reopen schools children should not be uh, be punished for the grievances of grown ups well, Jan Egeland, thank you so much for your time. As always, I really appreciate speaking with you. I always uh, love hearing your thoughts on issues around the world and for shining a light on this situation in Cameroon. Thanks for your attention to Cameroon. All right. Big thank you to Jan Egeland. I always love chatting with him. This is probably the third or even fourth time that he's been on the show. He, as I said earlier, is one of the most high profile humanitarian aid workers around. And I always love learning his perspective on issues around the globe. And as I mentioned at the start of the show, please do get in touch with me, specifically if you have digital marketing skills or grant writing skills and you want to help the show, I could use your support and I would love to bounce some ideas off of you. And a big thank you again to all of those of you who are premium subscribers to the show and a nudge of encouragement to those of you who are considered becoming premium subscribers to the show. Please do so and unlock all the great rewards, including bonus episodes and access to my early morning news clips service. All right, we'll see you next time. Bye.